0: Please open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. This is the third sermon about angels. And with this one and the next one, we will conclude the study. Daniel chapter 4 is one of our church's favorite chapters of the Bible because it describes the sovereign God that we serve and what he did to the great king Nebuchadnezzar. I have reminded you many times, but some have not heard it maybe. Daniel chapter 4 was not written by Daniel. Daniel chapter 4 was written by Nebuchadnezzar. And it's included in the inspired scriptures of God. He wrote this to his entire kingdom to tell them what the high God had done toward him. And what a wonderful display of God's sovereign might and power over this king of kings, as God referred to him. I just want the 35th verse, which is part of his testimony at the end of seven years of being an animal. Humbled by the power of God through the watchers and holy ones that demanded that he be put down. Angels demand that men be put down when they get haughty. And he was put down for seven years. I read the 35th verse. He's, let's, I'll go ahead and get the 34th so that we have the whole sentence here. At the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? This is our God. And we worship him this morning. And he has created an army. That is why Nebuchadnezzar refers to the fact Nebuchadnezzar learned in God's private lesson with Him about the Holy Ones and the Watchers, that there was an army in heaven. And God does according to His will in the army of heaven. And the army of heaven is the host of heaven. It's the heavenly host. These are different Bible expressions for the great company of angels that serve our God. And they're organized like a military. They are spoken of in militaristic terms from time to time. And we should rejoice in the fact that we have such an army. As I mentioned to you last Lord's Day, we don't need to wonder how many tanks the Russians have. We need to believe how many angels God has. We don't need to worry about how many nuclear missiles China might eventually someday get. We need to remember that the God of heaven has countless members in His army. And that's where we as Christians in the earth... A very small minority put our trust. It doesn't matter what they report on the evening news. As we've learned finally by their admission, they're all a bunch of liars anyway. Right. Why would we worry about what's on the evening news? All that is fear-mongering by the devil himself. There is no mention of God. There is no foundation of faith given to anyone by those news anchors because they don't fear God and they're, pl- they're toys of the devil. If you're going to talk about the threat of anything, that threat should be covered with faith in the God who protects us from such threats. Amen. If it's Ebola, then let's hear Psalm 91. Amen. If it's an army, let's hear about Second Kings 6, because they that are with us are greater than they that are with them, Amen. and more in number. Turn over to Job chapter 25, and let's hear a word of Bildad about this army in heaven. Oh, the Bible's filled with references. I'm at about 800 references to the angels. Now, if you go to a concordance and look up angel, you're going to get 194. If you look up angels, you're going to get 92. And some of those uses aren't even referring to angels. But you've got to remember all the other words that the Bible uses for angels. Like army. When it's not an army on earth, it's an army in heaven. Look at... Job 25 in Bildad's words. These men, though they misapplied God's greatness against Job, and though they tried to accuse Job of having private sins, they did know the God of the Bible, and the things they said about God are true. Job 25, verse 1, Then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, Dominion, I love that word, Dominion, And fear are with him. He maketh peace in his high places. Is there any number of his armies? And upon whom doth not his light arise? How then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? And I got to stop there. We'll get off track. But I want you to notice that Bildad asks a rhetorical question, is there any number of his armies? There is no number of the armies of God because they are an innumerable company of angels because they are 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. What a wonderful thing to know and to learn. If God took the time to put it into our Bibles about 800 times, then I think that from time to time, we ought to consider the subject. And we shouldn't consider the subject through the spectacles of Hollywood. And we shouldn't consider the subject through Roman Catholic meditation. And we shouldn't be seeking to worship angels. And we shouldn't be painting pictures of them. And we shouldn't be doing anything like that. But we should know what the Bible has to say about them because they are very encouraging to us to know this. If it's in the Bible, it's good for us. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Let me suggest several reasons why we want to study about the angels. We want to study the angels to fear God. Notice this passage. Dominion and fear are with Him. He God isn't afraid. So when it says dominion and fear are with Him, that is those that are around Him fear Him because He has total dominion over them. Dominion and fear are with him. He maketh peace in his high places. And how does God make peace? He destroys his enemies. He threw the sinning angels out of heaven. Dominion and fear are with him. He maketh peace in his high places. Is there any number of his armies? One reason that we want to study angels is to fear God. Solomon wrote at the end of his philosophical observation and analysis of life, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter fear God, and keep His commandments. The angels do that, and the angels watch to see if we do that. As you had read to you this morning from Brother Ed, Ezekiel 9 ought to give you goosebumps because that is a powerful passage of Scripture about God's dealings with His church. Those weren't the Hittites or the Egyptians. That was His church. And He sent six slaughtering angels I believe in weapons of mass destruction, and the U.S. arsenal does not have any of them. Do you believe in WMDs, weapons of mass destruction? They're the destroying weapons those angels had with them, the slaughtering angels, the weapons of slaughter. That those angels brought into the city of Jerusalem, but thanks be to God, there was an angel in linen that had an inkhorn and marked the foreheads of those that sighed and cried by reason of the abominations being done. As a church, brethren, let us sigh and cry that there is so much wickedness around, especially in the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. The wickedness in the world has always been there, and the Lord doesn't tell us to worry about that. When David said, rivers of waters run down mine eyes because they do not keep thy law, it's because members of Israel weren't keeping the law of God. David wasn't crying because the Chinese weren't keeping the law of God. David was crying because of the people of God not keeping the law of God. And so when we speak of the perilous times of the last days, let it move us to sigh and to cry, because according to Ezekiel 9, there are angels that mark out men who sigh and cry, and they are delivered from the destruction that comes. That is not the only place in the Bible like that. If you go to Malachi chapter 3, verses 14-16, through you will find that God writes their names in the book of remembrance, and that there is a great difference made between those He destroys and those He makes up as His jewels. I want to be written in that book, and I want our whole church to be written in that book. And I want you to want to be written in that book. So we need to sigh and cry. We need to be in the fear of the Lord all the days of our lives. And we need to teach our children to fear the Lord. And we need to exhort one another to fear the Lord. If I take that long on each point I have, we'll be in this until July. Let me give you a few points as to why we should be thankful that angels are taught in the Bible and why we should study them from time to time. First, the fear of the Lord. Second, God's love for us. God's love for us. They are only weapons of mass destruction and slaughtering angels to those that are wicked. To those that are not wicked, they're being marked with ink. By the angel in linen, they're being protected, they're being delivered, they're being taught, they're being shown pastors, they're being protected during life. And so we can thank the Lord that we have servants that were created before us, servants that were created more powerful than us, that are ministers to us. We have servants. We have a lot of servants. We have a whole lot of servants. And do you know what it shows? That God loves His people. They aren't serving each other. They're serving us because we are the children of God. And so we ought to think about the fact God has displayed his love to us in many ways. And, of course, the, cheap way he, the, the chief way that he has displayed it is to send his only begotten son to die for us. Right. But then, way down the list, but still in the list, is this large, innumerable company of angels that are for our servants. Right. They serve the Lord Jesus Christ. They serve us. We just don't see them anymore. I hope today to be able to make it very clear to you so that you will understand why 70 AD was a drama- drastic and dramatic change in how things take place. Because we are in the mature phase of the church in which we do not need visible demonstrations of God's power nor of his angels. They are unseen. And Paul will explain that to us in 1 Corinthians 13, that only the church, when it is in a childish state, needs visible demonstrations. Right. Does that get you? Yeah. Was it you, brother? Yeah. Wishing that we could see them from time time. Yeah, of course, brother. Of course we wish we could see them from time to time. But no, no, no. Let's be wise here. What did Jesus say to Thomas? When Thomas said, I will not believe unless he comes and shows me his hands and I can stick my finger in the wound of his hands and put my hand in his side. Jesus told Thomas, yea, rather, they are more blessed that have not seen and believe. And so that is the mature state of the church. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I thought as a child, I understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And do you know what? Visible demonstrations of angels are childish things. Speaking in tongues and miracles are childish things. Raising the dead and healing the blind are childish things. Those things have been put away. And what have we been given in its place? This right here. In writing from the God of heaven by 40 authors, by 40 writers, excuse me, one author, the Holy Spirit of God, we have this word. Two things so far. We should study angels because it teaches us the fear of the Lord. It teaches us God's love for us because they provide comfort and protection. They teach us to be courageous because there's more with us than with any enemy. Those martyrs, many of you said to me, I don't know if I could have done that. Well, one of the ways that you can do that, the chief way is God gives grace at the time of need. The second way that you can do that is to be well grounded in the Word of God that when you are going to a stake and there might be 40 soldiers around you. 40. (laughs) Laugh with me. 40 soldiers around you. How long would it take one angel to take care of 40 soldiers? He wouldn't even get warmed up. It wouldn't even be an appetizer. And so to be grounded in those things, you would not be afraid of any number of men even if they were burning you at the stake. We want to build commitment to God and Jesus Christ for the angels keep His commandments perfectly. Did you notice in the last verse of Ezekiel chapter 9, it said the angel in linen came and reported back to the Lord, I have done as Thou hast commanded me. They're always doing that. Let's do that. God saved us. We're His sons and His daughters. They are not. They are our servants. We have been elevated above them by adoption of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is fabulous. The gospel is a glorious message of glad tidings and good news when we consider it in all of its aspects. We want to have confidence in serving God and Christ for they are with us for our success. You shouldn't be afraid of an interview. You shouldn't be afraid of applying for some job that you might feel a little underqualified for. Apply for it. How do you know that there's not an angel walking down the hall at that company? Tapping someone on the shoulder when they get to resume number 23 out of a stack of 150 you say, how do you know that that's how do I know that that's happening because every book of the Bible tells me that's happening right. the entire book of the Bible tells me that that's happening. Have you ever seen it I don't need to see it because I have faith right. why are you asking me to join you in the ranks of the faithless? We believe these things because the Bible tells us yeah. Don't be afraid. It should teach confidence. We want to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of ways to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ found in the pages of Scripture. And one of the great ways to glorify Him is to exalt the angels as high as the Bible exalts them and then to talk about who is their commander-in-chief. Our brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth, born in lowly Nazareth, laid in a manger to begin His life is their Lord. All angels and principalities and powers, I'm sorry if you don't like the words that I like to use, might, throne, and dominion, all those are terms of angels in the Word of God. They all report to Him. And so it exalts our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to exalt our own adoption. We were made a little lower than the angels. Now we've been adopted above the angels. We are the sons of God with little s, and while our older brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the Son of God with a capital S, if you understand what I mean by that. Amen. We want to grasp kingdom glory, like I started with this morning from Hebrews chapter 12. That sentence of Hebrews 12, 22 through 24, should be one of your favorite sentences in the Bible. Because it's about us in the New Testament and the great relationship that we have with God, and it ties together so much of the Bible. When the Bible uses Mount Zion, Mount Zion, Mount Zion over and over again, we're part of Mount Zion. When the Bible uses the word Jerusalem and Salem over and over again, we're part of the real Jerusalem. When the Bible speaks of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the rest, we're part of those spirits of just men made perfect. That one sentence unites so much of the Bible. I hope no one in here in the last month has sent any money to Israel To help pay for U.S. F-16s. Any hands? We'll have business. No way! The Jerusalem that the Lord cares about since 70 A.D. or earlier is in heaven. He's always cared about the one in heaven. But even for a while, he had a typical representation of it on earth. Oh, we want to see the kingdom glory by our relationship to the angels. We want to know how to die. Do you know how to die? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That's how you die. But do you know what happens when you say that? You go up by a whirlwind into heaven. Right. You say, What I don't understand what happened over there in 2 Kings chapter 2. Why did it call it a whirlwind twice? And then it said that a chariot of fire and horsemen of fire. Oh, brethren, if you ever saw the chariot and horsemen of God going through the air, it disturbs the air a little bit. It results in a whirlwind. The two of them are entirely compatible. When you get the chariots of God, they create a whirlwind. And he was sucked up by that whirlwind created with and by the chariot of God and the horsemen thereof. The angels of heaven. Oh, we could go to Ezekiel 1 and see fire enfolding upon itself and moving about like a bolt of lightning. How do you die? Well, you don't die worrying about the doctors and the nurses. Right. You die trusting the Lord, God of heaven, who puts your name in the book of life and that you are part of Mount Zion. And that that day, that day, the angels were asked, Who is going to go get you? And one raises his hand. I want it. Go and prosper. And there's angels in that room as you're taking your last breath and the fact that you're weak doesn't impair them at all. They have all the strength that is necessary. And they will take you into that chariot and take you to heaven in a whirlwind. And if we could see, we would say, the chariot of the church! And the horsemen thereof. Right. But we can't see it because we don't need to see it because it's in writing. Right. Right. You know, you hardly ever hear, if ever, stories from me about people dying and wind moving through a room and out a window or out a door. But I know about them. I just have never done that to you. I teach you the Bible. I know about the stories. I have some of my own family. But it's the Word of God that counts. And I know that that's what happens. I know that a beggar named Lazarus, who was so pitiful and so poor in this world that dogs licked his sores, I know how he went to heaven. The angels came and carried him up into heaven. So I have a New Testament reference. I have an Old Testament reference. They both say the same thing. I just rejoice in the glory of God. And when we get near that time, I hope that preaching on angels will have helped you prepare to die. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And when you give up like that and let your spirit go, they'll take care of it and you will never be dropped. But a whirlwind will take you up into heaven. Last of all, we want to rejoice over repenting sinners because if the angels are doing it, we should certainly be doing it. So there's, there's a few reasons as to why we should want to study angels from time to time. Angels are a mystery of our faith. You say, I thought they were in the Bible 800 times. Why do you call them a mystery of our faith? Everything that we believe is in the Bible a few times. Or we wouldn't believe it. It's called a mystery of our faith because the world can't know about it. There's no telescope and there's no microscope that can identify an angel. So it's a mystery to them. Our natural man, our natural mind, our natural intellect, our natural ability to discover things could not discover angels. They're revealed to us. It's a matter of revelation which makes them a mystery of our faith. The angels are one of the things that we believe that the world cannot know about and does not know about, and the little ideas that they have of them, as have already been ridiculed from this pulpit appropriately this morning, they come up with pictures of angels that are entirely contrary to the Word of God. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. 1 Timothy 3.16 And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels. It's part of the mystery of our faith. And what a faith we have. What a gospel we have. The gospel is the good news and glad tidings of good things that God has done for us. Eye hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, and he has prepared an innumerable company of angels for us. Lord, help us embrace that fact. Most men live by their five senses, and those people that live by their senses miss out on everything of importance in the world never grasping anything more important than what they can see, hear, taste, smell, or touch. They never think any higher than a newspaper and a hot dog. Faith in God's Word is absolutely necessary for us to know about angels. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I have evidence of angels even though I've never seen one. Just as much as I have evidence of the creation of the world out of nothing by the almighty voice of God, though I've never seen it happen. I don't need to see it happen. Hebrews 11.3 says, Through faith we understand. I understand all there is to know about angels. That God wants me to know about them because He's written about 800 times in the Bible. And He's written about creation. God spake and there it was. Let there be light and there was light. Can't you understand... Yes, you can. We understand that. Through faith, we understand that things that are seen were not made of things which do appear. Right, right. Thank you, Lord. It's all a matter of faith. As in any topic, we want the crown of the road hating ditches on every side. Look at Deuteronomy chapter five with me. For those of you with good memories and you like little cute connections, Deuteronomy 5:32 and 12:32. Deuteronomy 12.32 says don't add or take away from my word. Deuteronomy 5.32 says don't go to the left hand or the right hand from my word. It's just, sorry. Sometimes it might be useful for your memory to remember that if you want both of those, They're in Deuteronomy, and it's 5.32 and 12.32. Right now we want Deuteronomy 5.32 because we want the crown of the road. We don't want to go into the ditch on the left or the ditch on the right on the subject of angels. Ye shall observe to do therefore as the Lord your God hath commanded you. Ye shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Thank you, Lord, for a text like that. There's the ditch of Catholicism and others that exalt angels too high and worship them. There is the ditch of the Sadducees that deny there even is such a thing as an angel. We choose with David not to exercise ourselves in matters too high for us. Yet, we admit and honor the frequent mention of angels in the Bible and their activities recorded for us. God has chosen for his own reasons, the chief reason is the glory of God, God has chosen for his own reasons, his own glory, to create angels and employ them. He does not need them. Right. Their power does not add to his power. Do you think finite power adds to infinite power? It's not even close. God has chosen for his own reasons. Now those reasons are, they're, they're given to us in the Bible. Hold on. We know by revelation That seeing our salvation turns to God's glory through them being curious and overwhelmed by God's wisdom and grace toward us. They cannot grasp that. It doesn't make sense. And, you know, honestly, it doesn't make sense to me either. Why he would save us that rebelled against him and not save the devil and his angels that rebelled against God. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. The text is not the easiest in the Bible, it's one of the more obscure. But the meaning should be obvious to you once it's explained again. Lord help us. God chose to create angels and to employ them in accomplishing his will in the earth. Many times when it says God did this or God did that, if you look around in the context, you'll find out, oh, he did it by his angels. The easiest way I have to put that to you is, did Jacob wrestle with God, with an angel or with a man? And that's the correct answer. (laughs) Jacob wrestled with an angel that was representing God, and he looked like a man. That is how we reconcile it, and there are many occurrences like that in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 3. One of the reasons that God has this this group of beings, the good and holy angels, the elect angels, and the angels that have fallen is to save us below them, adopt us above them, turn them into our servants. In the great household of God, there is God, the firstborn son, all of us brothers and sisters of the firstborn son, and domestic servants. That is the household of God. When God did it that way, it created great curiosity on the part of the angels, to look into these things, and it gets greater glory to God that He saved those below the angels. Right. That is why they're looking into these things, and they desire to look into these things. That is First Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. Because I've preached that very carefully to you recently, let's go to this one. Ephesians 3.10. I'm going to start at verse 8 to get the sentence... You know, Paul and Peter have some long sentences sometimes. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 3.8 Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent, God's ordering of things and his riches in Christ are to this intent. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Are you, this passage is describing the unsearchable riches of God's salvation that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he did it in the way that he did it. It was hid from the beginning, but it was now being revealed through Jesus Christ and Paul, who know, who knew more about this mystery being revealed than anyone else, as this third chapter of Ephesians teaches us. It's to this intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known. This is to teach angels something. Are you with me on the words? This is an obscure verse because it's got a passive phrase coming up next that is hard to understand unless you understand the difference between active phrases and passive phrases. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. God has done things the way he did so that the unsearchable riches of God's grace in Christ would teach The angels an object lesson for their great curiosity and great praise and that is the manifold wisdom of God in saving the church. When it says by the church... The church isn't doing anything. It's what God did toward the church. The angels are viewing it, and He did it for the angels to see so that there is this consternation and exaltation and glorification of the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. That Jesus Christ was sent from God past the angels... It says specifically in Hebrews 2.14-17 that he did not take on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham because he came down past the angels to us. And when the angels look at that, and it was designed for them to look at it, they can't believe it. Unbelievable grace. Unbelievable grace. Can you see them punching each other? Look at that. Look at that. Those little scumbags down there in the church of Greenville. He saved them by His only Son. His Son was not made after our nature. And they don't resent it. Because in Revelation chapter 5, I read about three choirs. And the first one are the redeemed singing. And the second one are the angels singing. And the third one is the whole creation singing. This is why God did it. One of the reasons why He did it. God doesn't need angels. Could God have protected Elisha and his servant in the city of Dothan from the surrounding Syrian army without angels? Hello. Yeah, maybe easier. When you involve the rational will of another creature, like what happened to uh, the devil and his angels, they didn't obey. But that was all under the wise design of our God who has all things under his dominion as well. Because for them to fall and not to have a redeemer, and for us to fall and have a redeemer, what happens? What's the net conclusion? Greater glory to God. Amen. If you write cross references in your Bible beside Ephesians three ten, you should write First 1 Peter one twelve, and beside First 1 Peter one twelve, you should write Ephesians three ten. This this verse ought to excite you that this fabulous mystery. It was exposed more and more until the man Christ Jesus came, which made it obvious that Jesus Christ did not come in the nature of an angel, but in one of our natures, because he came to save us and not the angels. Anything angels do, God could do it more easily, but he chose to employ angels in it. God chose to employ angels and we do not denigrate them we do not neglect them we don't ignore them we don't despise them because God reveals them about 800 times in our bibles to us god made the choice to do it now look at proverbs 21:31 and help me figure out a dilemma proverbs 21:31 the horse is prepared against the day of battle but safety is of the lord proverbs 21:31 the horse is prepared against the day of battle but safety is of the lord Do you believe that verse? Okay, then let's turn over to Psalm 34 and verse 7. Psalm 34 and verse 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Do you believe that verse? Which verse is true? How is safety of the Lord? He's got angels around us protecting us. And that is how we should read the Bible. When you read Proverbs 21.31, and it says, The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Should we exclude angels because angels aren't mentioned there? Or should we refer to Psalm 34.7 to know that God uses His angels in the execution of His will on earth? Amen. Otherwise, you end up with this minority of events belonging to angels and a majority of events belonging to God, and then you do this leap of logic. Since I haven't seen one, they're no longer active. And so we've got to look at two verses like that and put them together. Safety is of the Lord by his use of angels to protect us. Lord Jesus received my spirit, but there were intermediary beings that carried that spirit to Jesus. The angels of God. How do we know that? From Luke 16, 22 and from 2 Kings chapter 2 about Elijah going up in a whirlwind. Do angels punish men according to Ezekiel chapter 9 verses 1 through 11? Are there angels with weapons of slaughter? Yes, yes. Or does the Lord chasten His church and cause many to be weak, sickly, and dead? Yes. Did angels enter the church of Corinth? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If you don't believe that, you don't believe the Bible. How does God enter the church of Corinth? How did Ananias and Sapphira die? Was there a slaughtering angel there when they lied to the Holy Ghost? Dispatch them? That's how God operates in the world. He's chosen to operate that way. If you only go by the few events that are described in the Bible, then we've got three angels employed and 99,999,997 unemployed. Please, I just want you to think through this. When we look at the Bible, we don't have to see them everywhere because He tells us elsewhere How he's doing it. Did angels take Lazarus to heaven? Or does the Lord take spirits to heaven like Stephen's? Yes. How does the Lord take spirits to heaven? By the chariots of God, the angels of heaven. God chose to use angels. We should see them unmentioned in the Bible and invisible in our lives. That's my point. I've already spent enough time telling you that angels are different from men and angels are different from God even though there are places in the Old Testament that some call Christophanies meaning a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Would, does, it, does everybody in here know what Jesus was pre-incarnate? Word of God. Oh, it's music to my ears. He was the Word of God. Was there a body? No. Was there a human nature? No. Was there a human spirit? No. What was there before the incarnation? The Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Amen. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Amen. That's what Jesus was before the incarnation. The Word of God. Do you know what they have Him? The eternally generated Son of God. In His divine nature. The divine nature of my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, was not generated in any way, shape, or form. The divine nature of the Lord Jesus Christ is the Word of God. Men have given their lives for this doctrine. I hope I made it clear last Lord's Day that the angels in their ministry must not be confused with the Holy Spirit of God and His ministry. The Bible tells us that the angels are our servants. In Hebrews chapter 1, and verse 14, but they do not provide what the Holy Spirit does in the way of personal, divine comfort. In the three great chapters about the gift of the Holy Ghost, John 14, John 15, and John 16, there is no mention of angels. I will send you a comforter, and that comforter would be the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost would dwell with you, and by the Holy Ghost dwelling with you, the Father and I will dwell with you, and make our abode with you, and we shall be with you forever. Not a mention about angels there. The great gift at Pentecost was the Holy Spirit, not a gift of angels. Look at Ephesians Ephesians chapter 1, please. Ephesians. I just want to make sure that we never, never confuse the ministry of angels and the ministry of the Holy Ghost. The angels are involved in our practical lives and the providence of God in the world. Jobs, spouses, health, cars, houses, protection, safety. Preachers, getting to a preacher, hearing a preacher, having a preacher sent to you. All the practical, logistical efforts necessary for God to work His providence out. But when it comes down to the actual indwelling, intimate, personal relationship of God with His people, it is by the Holy Ghost. So we have an epistle in the New Testament by Paul, who did have angels appear to him, but he wrote this way. And and to save time, look at your Bible, the, the epistle to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 17 speak of the Holy Ghost. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 18 and 22 speak of the Holy Ghost. Chapter 3 verses 5 and 14 through 19, a passage of scripture that is glorious in that it says, when this passage is fulfilled, you will be filled with all the fullness of God. It is by the Holy Ghost. In chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, and verse 30, it's grieve not the Holy Ghost. In chapter 5, it's to be filled with the Holy Ghost. In chapter 6, it's to be praying in the Holy Ghost. They are just domestic servants. Right. They take care of our domestic needs. If you'll allow me the metaphor, the spiritual needs are taken care of by the Holy Ghost of God. Purchased for us by the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ and given to us by a promise of the Father on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit communicates inside our souls with us. That doesn't mean you can't hear a thought given to you by an angel while you're having a dream. But the personal fellowship that we have with God where we know that God loves us because His, His love for us is shed abroad in our hearts, Romans 5.5 5 tells us that is the Holy Ghost. When the Bible says, now the God of all great, uh, the God of all hope is able to fill you with all joy and peace in believing and to cause you to abound in hope by the power of the Holy Ghost. We do not want to get the two confused because angels are not God and God is not an angel. Angels are invisible. I think you're close to Colossians since you were looking at Ephesians. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. Are there principalities and powers and thrones and dominions that are invisible? Yes. Who created them? The Lord Jesus Christ. They're all creatures and they're invisible. Balaam couldn't see them, could he? But his ass could. His ass saw that angel, the Lord, standing in the way. The servant lad couldn't see the angels until Elisha prayed in Second Kings six sixteen. Lord, open his eyes that he can see who's here with us. And the Lord opened his eyes. They're invisible, and Jesus created them. There's a world that goes on. Around. This is why it's a mystery. Right. Anthropology, the study of man, social studies. Are you taught about angels in school? The public schools? No, it's a mystery to them. It's revealed to us. They are involved. They are organized. They are ranked. They have archangels. They have angels. They have Michael. They have Gabriel. They descend down into the ranks. They have thrones. They have might. They have dominion. They're called princes. Then there's a great prince called Michael, but they don't know anything about it. Brethren, it's almost like we're having a secret meeting here right now of a remnant in the earth, that has hidden wisdom and secret information. That's exactly right. It's information from the Bible. And we just want to constantly keep referring to the Bible rather than any imagination of ours about angels. That's why I don't tell you about rushing wind leaving rooms when a person dies. It gets too exciting. Trust the Bible. The whirlwind in 2 Kings 2 got me excited. Thank you, Joel, for reading it to me. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Having the Word of God read, it should be so new and fresh every single time we hear it. To think about that whirlwind sucking up Elijah into heaven. What a way to go. And then to have your buddy ask you on the way out, can I have twice your spirit? Now we're already talking about the most spirited man in the history of Israel, Elijah. John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. John the Baptist. Because Elijah was as high as you could reach. And Elisha said... I want two times what he had. Well, if you see me go, you'll get it. And he saw him go. Where is the Lord God of Elijah as he smacks the water with his mantle and the river Jordan divided for one little guy? They're impressive. Ezekiel chapter 1, I'm not going to turn you there. They are so impressive. Fire enfolding upon itself. Wheels within a wheel, you know. There's all kind, I could try to describe it for you, but I can't describe it for you, and it's not worth describing. It's just worth reading the chapter and realizing these angels are incredible beings, and to see them is a very impressive ex- experience. Their appearance is like gold or white lightning, chariots of fire flashing back and forth. They were so bright. When the angel came down and rolled away the stone from Jesus, that angel came down, he was busy. He caused an earthquake. What kind of an earthquake, according to the Bible? I need a a great earthquake. He rolled this stone away. Was that stone easy to roll away? Uh uh. He rolled that stone away. He sat on it. He was in shining raiment that caused the keepers of that tomb to shake and be like dead men. Oh, if Jesus would have said, Help me at his crucifixion, they came and helped him out of that tomb, and he ascended up into heaven. And they stood in the clouds and said, Men, you need to be about your father's business. Quit staring up at the clouds. What are you looking for? A cloud formation? This same Jesus that's being taken up from you is coming back in the same manner, but you've got work to do. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. They're locational. They're not omnipresent like God is. God fills heaven and earth. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 24 tells us, The angels have to move back and forth, up and down from heaven to earth, from earth to heaven, from one place to another. And the Bible tells us that they do that. Some angels are committed to you. Some are for children in heaven, are always beholding their father's face. Some angels are encamped round about you. Psalm 34 and verse 7. Angels are fast. They could answer Daniel's prayer. In Daniel chapter 9, Whiles he was a-praying. About the time of the evening sacrifice, that angel made it from heaven to Daniel and said, when you started praying, the commandment came forth that I'm supposed to come down here and give you understanding in these visions. That's just beautiful. That's fast. They're intelligent. You know, there are different ideas. In First Kings 22, when God asked who was going to get Ahab to battle so that he could die that day. But they're not omniscient. Do you know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36? He said, No man knows that day or that hour, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. See, I love the Bible. It just tells us there's a cap on their intelligence. There's a cap on their knowledge of what's going to happen. Do the devil and his angels know that they are going to be eternally tormented by Jesus Christ? Yes. Yes. Do they know when? No, they're totally, uh, they have no clue. Because way back in 30 AD, did they approach Jesus and say, Art thou come to torment us before the time? I mean, you're surprising us a little by being here now. Are you come? They were, they're, they're confused about it. If they would have known that Jesus Christ was absolutely not going to torment them at that time, they wouldn't have responded that way. They know that torment is coming. They knew that it was off in the future, but they didn't know when. Because we often wonder and we can't fully explain it. Why does the devil keep fighting? He should have enough wisdom not to keep fighting, but it should be a lesson to us that pride and sin are terrible things that confuse the human heart. And distract the human heart. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 3 verses 12 and 13 that sin is able to cause us to deceive ourselves to depart from the living God. To even think of that happening is, is, is scary. It's why we have a church to exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest we be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin and depart from the living God. Lord, help us against that. The angels are powerful. How many of Adam's descendants ate from the tree of life? None? Wouldn't you want to eat from the tree of life? Cherubims. Genesis 3.24. With a flaming sword, turning this way, that way, every way, keeping the way of the tree of life. Could the tree of life have been there till the flood? Absolutely. Did anybody eat of it? Absolutely not. Powerful. When two angels entered the city of Sodom and they were being solicited by Sodom's dogs, and I don't mean the four-legged variety, they struck them with blindness. Wonderful. 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in a single night. Germ warfare that killed 70,000 in Israel. Angels are much more powerful than men, but they don't abuse that power. Look at Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. A good angel closed lions' mouths. Bad angels confused swine to run down a steep place and drown themselves in the sea. Gabriel could take away Zacharias' ability to speak because he didn't believe him. Satan was able to move the body of Jesus Christ around rather freely, take him to the top of the temple, taking him down. They can use human armies like the devil did in Job chapter 1. Lightning, Job chapter 1. Tornadoes, Job chapter 1. They can inflict diseases on men, Job 2, 7. All through the Gospels of Jesus Christ, fallen angels were spirits of a dumb spirit, spirit of infirmity, all kinds of spirits. They can heal diseases, John chapter 5. An angel would come down at a particular season and stir the waters of the pool of Bethesda. If you don't believe that, then you shouldn't be here. I believe that as much as Genesis 1, 1 and Amen. Revelation twenty two twenty one. John 5, 4, even though it's not in any modern translation of the Bible. You try to read John chapter 5, verses 1-10 through 10 without verse 4 and see if you can figure out what was going on there when Jesus came and talked to a lame man about why he didn't jump in the pool. We're going to get to that in the second service. We're talking about how powerful they are. They can heal diseases. I don't have any qualms at all when one of our members goes under the goes under anesthesia, under the knife of a surgeon, to believe that an angel was assigned that day to direct that surgeon, to direct that knife, to preserve them on that operating table. I don't have a single problem with asking God for help and just using this as a reminder of those creatures that are used by Him in the affairs of this world to direct the poison of chemotherapy and to direct the poison of radiation in particular bodies to accomplish what it should and not to hurt what it shouldn't. 2nd 2 Peter 2:10 2, through 12 are describing the wicked. 2nd 2 Peter 2:10 2, through 12, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. These are wicked men that despise government and we don't want to be guilty of this sin. Presumptuous are they, self-willed They are not afraid. They are not afraid. They should be afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. This verse tells us when we think about the power of angels, 2.11, 2 Peter 2.11 tells us that the angels are greater in power and might than we are. They're greater in power and might than Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong, and the other great leaders in the history of the world, from Genghis Khan to Attila the Hun to President Obama and President Putin. As I wrote you yesterday in the preparatory email, Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, do not bring railing accusations against them. And so my point was here that even though they are powerful and much more powerful than men, they do not abuse that power. Therefore, there is a lesson of holiness in this passage of three verses that I have taught you many times. Don't you make fun of our president. Don't you make jokes about our president. Don't make fun of President Putin. Don't make jokes about President Putin. This passage here, 2 Peter 2, 10 through 12, is copied basically by the Holy Ghost in Jude chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. The same things are taught. We don't want to curse the king, not even in our thought. We don't want to curse the rich, not even in our bedchamber. Because there is authority in human existence, and there is authority in angelic existence, and they understand it, and they believe that we should be afraid of the offices that God has put over us. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word until we come back after our break. Amen.